Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. I also host the podcast Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, which you can listen to if you need your literary fix fast. This podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, is for anyone out there who wants to feel better in their bodies like I do. There's a private support group that I started on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. And all of us share tips, suggestions, recipes, meal ideas, and generally just give each other lots and lots and lots of support so that it isn't so hard to do what should be simple, but somehow isn't. So please listen to the podcast, hear stories from people just like you who have struggled and overcome things and have ideas and suggestions. And let's just do this together. We got this. Thanks for listening. I had such a nice time talking to Melissa Lieberman on Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. Uh, Melissa, here's a bio for her, but Melissa has been an attorney for more than 20 years. She has practiced law in the private sector and also has served in several high-level roles in New Jersey state government. Melissa is the proud mother of two very active athletic boys, aged 9 and 15, and has been married to her husband, who she met on her first day of law school for almost 20 years. She graduated from Tufts University with a bachelor's degree in political science and a minor in women's studies and received her JD from Rutgers University School of Law in Newark. She lives with her husband and sons in New Jersey. And Melissa and I had a really great conversation, which you'll hear now, um, and have just so many similarities. It's crazy. Um, anyway, Enjoy. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. Thanks, Zibby, so much for having me. I'm so glad you reached out as someone who's a part of the Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight community and shared your story with me over email. And now we get to talk face-to-face over Zoom, and this is a real treat. And I am thrilled to be your first podcast ever. Well, thank you so much. I, As I mentioned, when you said, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? I thought, oh, to tell my story? And I thought would people want to listen to it? And then I thought, you know what, why not? I think that, as I said to you, when I reached out so much of what you have had to say on this podcast has really resonated with me. And I really wanted to share it with you and was glad you thought maybe we could share it with others as well. <laughs> well, thank you. Sorry to have like taken your message and been like, all right, now we're going to blast this out to the world. But, you know, <laughs> I'm always looking for interesting stories. And honestly, everyone's story is interesting to other people. I mean, there's nothing that makes one person's journey like more relevant or not. We're each just like trying to get through life the best we can. And everyone's has their own perspective, which someone out there always ends up relating to. So that's why I think it's all kind of valuable. (laughs) I definitely agree. So speaking of story, so tell me your backstory and your sort of relationship with your weight and body and and when it began and sort of where you are now. And I'll jump in and maybe interrupt you a hundred times. Yeah, you probably will need to, because of course, like all of our stories in this regard, it's long. So I think one of the formative elements of this for me is that I'm the grandchild of Holocaust survivors. And I think that when you grow up with my case, parent, my mother, who grew up in a home with that kind of trauma, because her parents had lost pretty much all of their family in the Holocaust. And my grandmother, you know, was in concentration camps and they were starved basically for years. There's a lot of dysfunction that comes out of that experience. But I think there's not a lot that's been said about the the food relationship with food that people have when they have not had it. And so I was very much raised with food as a very prominent element in our lives. A refrigerator that is not filled and stuffed is not okay. 
you have to have a lot of leftovers after every meal, particularly a holiday. And that sort of overabundance was definitely a reaction, I think, to my mother being raised by Holocaust survivors. And so I think that sort of starts is, a, is, an, is an element of it. Wait, can, okay, I'm already interrupting you. So Please. where were you, where was your family from and which concentration camp and how old were they? And give me a little more detail if you don't mind. Sure. No, of course. My grandmother, my grandparents are from Poland and they were from Ludge in Poland. My grandmother was in a couple of camps, Auschwitz and I think another one or two along the way. My grandfather was more of a, he sort of escaped and was in a work camp and has this unbelievable story of how he fled and sort of survived, you know, through working and kind of hiding. And so they met after the war. My grandmother and her sister, my great aunt who just died of COVID in April. Oh, um, yeah. So and sorry. I lost my grandmother 25. I don't know, 30, a long time ago. So she was like, the only thing I had tied to her. So they survived, the two of them. The rest of their siblings, you know, there's these horrible stories of them being taken away by the Nazis and their mother in front of them. And it's just so hard to even think about. And so that's a lot of the backstory. My grandparents met in a displaced persons camp after the war, as did my great aunt and uncle. And they were married in like a joint ceremony. And then they all came to the United States together. And so, you know, it's the American dream in many respects, but with a lot of trauma in the history, for sure. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry that that happened to your family. And it's really like, I cannot believe that your great aunt lived through Auschwitz and died of COVID. I mean, honestly, you should like call a newspaper about that, right? I mean, that is like the most crazy journey through awfulness. <laughs> I didn't say yeah. that well, but you know what I mean? Like that she could, yeah. sur- you know, that this is what, this is what felt her after she survived all that. And yeah. I'm so interested in what happened after the Holocaust and the Holocaust, obviously. I mean, I shouldn't say obviously, but I happen to be super interested. And I took a whole class in college about, you know, what the, you know, generational effects on what happens after you know, what happens after the war and what happened in the displaced persons camps or, you know, all of that. So I find this like now to see you sitting here, right. The next generation, it it, like gives me chills really. So anyway. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of deep family history that I think, you know, you worry that the loss of these survivors really impacts the ability to tell these stories. And yes, it was. I mean, I know you suffered a lot of loss from COVID. It has been, it was very sad. It was just not the way her life should have ended. I'm so sorry. And I bet in the early days, she wasn't, you couldn't even be with her at all and all that. Oh, Melissa, I'm so sorry. Okay. Well, I'm not to dredge up all your painful memories. So, okay. So they made it through that. And then where in the world, where, like, which part of the States did you end up? They came to New Jersey, to Patterson, New Jersey. And that is where my mother was born there. And they, my grandfather became an electrician and had a very successful electrical supply company. And my great aunt was like a businesswoman before her time. She owned a ladies clothing store and 
she and my great uncle would go to the city and buy clothes for the store. And she had a successful business. She was a working mom, you know, 60 years ago and really was a trailblazer in that way. And so, yeah, it was sort of the, it was the American dream. There's no question. And they stayed in New Jersey, raised their family in New Jersey. That's where I was born and have lived for all of my life other than the four years of college. Okay. All right. So back to eating. Yeah. It's all about the food always. (laughs) Okay. So you had a stuff fridge. You have this inherited sort of trauma of starvation in the genes somewhere that sort of courses through that you can't escape. Dot, dot, dot. Continue. Right. So I think that the pivotal time for me was actually when my grandmother died because she was very sick for a lot of her life. And from when I was about seven until I was 11, she was very brain tumor that was removed and she was paralyzed. It was terrible. My mother was consumed by her well-being and her struggles. And she died the summer, the end of sixth grade for me when I was 11 and, you know, went to sleep boy camp late because she passed away right when camp was starting. We were moving to a new house about an hour away, moving to a new town, I came home from camp to a new home, to a new town. My parents had moved over the summer. And here I am, a you know, almost 12-year-old girl starting, you know, what we call junior high back then, seventh grade, had gone through early puberty, was sort of tall, and the same was the same height I am now. I just never grew again. <laughs> I had that too. I was tall yeah. for like a hot minute in like you know, <laughs> 1983 or something. <laughs> Maybe a little later. There's like a picture of me in sixth grade, and I'm the tallest one in the class. But the problem is that I'm the same. I was that height for the rest of my life. I used to joke around. I was waiting to stretch out, and it never happened <laughs> and grow. But I that was really the pivotal year for me because I started a new school. I didn't have, I didn't know anybody. I was starting to feel really insecure in my body, and I turned to food, and food made me feel better. And, and it was just, that was, there was no expectations. It just always made me feel better. And I, I really became a binge eater. I, I really started to come home from school and I would go right to the pantry and I would take out a big bag of potato chips. It's amazing to think about what I would eat and ketchup. That was my like binge food of choice at the time. And then I started sneaking food. And that was, you know, a huge part of my, my issue because So I knew that I was doing something that was not good for me, but I couldn't stop. And to this day, I will tell you, I'm 47 years old. It's been 35 years since I started the behavior. I will still go to the pantry and take out something at night that I like shouldn't be eating. And I'll look around waiting for somebody to say like, do you really need that? Do you really need to eat that? Because it's so deep in there. So, but nobody says anything except me, (laughs) right? But that was it. So I put on a lot of weight in that seventh grade year and then went on my first diet. And I remember I was trying to think about the name of the place I went to. It was like a diet center. It was like, in a, I can picture it in the strip mall, on the highway, in the town I lived in. And I remember I would eat these like freeze-dried little apple pieces in a bag that were on my program. And I would eat, like make these frozen carnation instant breakfast chocolate something that was like okay on the plan. I think I did the same thing, by the way. 
We have so much. I, I just like, I haven't even interjected to say that everything is the same until this because I, my mom like dragged me to like the diet center and there were like these big brown pills, whatever they were they, that tasted kind of gross. Did you have the same thing? Oh my God. What was this place? I, I don't know. Right. I, I, Cause I, now like a couple of people have come out of the woodwork and I only remember going briefly and <laughs> I haven't heard of it since maybe, I don't know. I've got to investigate. Anyway, I was there too in New York city. So, you oh know, my gosh. So I, I went on this program and I literally, I lost the weight. I have such memories of deprivation from that program that I remember going to the movies and taking those stupid apple, dehydrated apple packet packets with me so I could have a snack. And it's like the same thing to this day. I go to, if I go to the movies or like when I went to the movies and if we ever go to the movies again, if I want popcorn, I eat popcorn because I have such a terrible memory of that deprivation. But so I went on this program. I lost, you know, all my weight and I will never forget. My, my mother never had a weight problem. She's tall, thin. She smoked at the time. She had a very fast metabolism. Her best friend, who's still like a second mom to me, always struggled with her weight. And I remember saying to her when I was you know, 12, 13, I did it. I lost all the weight. It's over. I never have to worry about this again. <laughs> and I remember her looking at me and saying, oh, sweetheart, this is going to be a battle for life. Because like, she knew. She knew what I did not know, which is that it was not about one diet and losing 20 pounds. And then it was over. And that was really the start of this lifelong journey. Okay. My mother and her best friend, my mother also smoked, also very thin, worked out all the time, like never had an issue. And her best friend and her would talk about it. Her name was Sally. And then Sally ended up getting lung cancer. And when she was super sick, she came over and she was wearing jeans and a headscarf because she had lost her mm-hmm. hair. And I will never forget that she walked in the front door and my mother goes, Sally, you lost so much weight. You look amazing. And literally like Sally, whose daughters are like my, my family at this point, like puts her hands on her hips and starts like turning around 360 so they could admire how much weight she had lost. And then she passed away. Oh my right? God. It's like, right. it right. doesn't end ever. It does not. It does not. And I think that my parents who, you know, are wonderful people and I'm like so close to, but they were always thin and they were very attached to thin being good. And that when all of a sudden I was not thin, it was, it was hard. They, They struggled with it. I think they would do a lot of it over again if they had the chance, sort of how they talked to me about it. I don't think they realized that that this was a deep-seated problem that I was having. I also have a developmentally disabled brother. And so I had a sibling who's a few years younger who needed a lot of attention. And, you know, it's always difficult to have a child with special needs. But 40 years ago, we didn't have the resources in the community that we have now. And so I think that the sort of the difficulty that my mother felt in sort of, you know, parenting him, getting him what he needed, and dealing with a sick mother and you know everything else it was it was a lot and there wasn't that much left for me i i think and what i was going through as a teen girl going through puberty and struggling in a new school so that was the beginning and it was not over <laughs> obviously after that first weight loss and then it just went on and on for 
for years, I would, it was a cycle, right? So something stressful would happen. The binge eating would return. I would sort of lose control over it and I would put on weight and then I would get a control over it. And then, you know, then I started Weight Watchers. So, you know, I think I'm still, I'm a huge Weight Watchers fan. I still believe that it is the key to, you can, something you can do for life. And so I was glad I was introduced to it in my teens. And I have been on it, on and off for 30 something years. And so I believe it because I'm also a big believer in moderation and Weight Watchers is really about that. I think in the lifestyle. So I went on and on back and forth with my weight. I think like looking back, one of the hardest things is that I just, I've been so cruel to myself. The negative self-talk about my body and the way that I sort of talk to myself and still do, it's upsetting to me. I'm this confident person in all these other aspects of my life, professionally and otherwise, but yet I cannot shed this sort of deep-seated negative feeling I have about my body. And that is something that really is stunning to me that, that it has had that impact. And I think that, you know, I, I say this sometimes that I have sons, I don't have daughters and people always say, Oh gosh, you should have had a girl. Oh, you must always wish that you didn't have a daughter. And I always think, say to myself, you know, this is so sad. I'm, I'm glad I don't have a daughter because I feel that I'm not equipped to necessarily raise a daughter with positive, a positive view of her body. I mean, I am well past having any children. My kids are not little. I am, you know, closer to 50 than to 40 at this point, but it's something that is that deep in me that I, I wouldn't even want to have that as a, as a responsibility because I know that I, I don't have a healthy relationship with my body. I'm so sorry. And by the way, I know I should probably should not say this, but I'm looking at you and you're tiny. So I no, I'm serious. People listening, not that it matters. I mean, you could weigh 500 pounds for all it, it for all it counts. And I, I don't want to talk about weight, but you happen to be tiny. So it somehow makes this even more pronounced because it's clearly not in line with how you actually look. Not that it ever is. Not that that's the point. You know, it's right. How you, no. right? It, you could be, but anyway. No, it totally, it's funny you said it because when I told my husband I was doing this, he's like, she must, she's going to be like, what? <laughs> no, I'm not like that at all. I know you're not, but, but that that's actually such a good point because I always say like, I, I think I've, I've ha- always had funhouse mirrors in my house, right? I remember distinctly being in college and being at the gym. And I always was looking for someone who looked like me. Like somebody who was five two and pear shaped and hippie and had the same sort of body type and weighed about what I did because I wanted to see what somebody else looked like. You were looking for me. <laughs> I was looking for you, Zibby. I was. And I was looking for you. And I know. <laughs> but I felt like everyone growing up was like a string bean. And I was like, what the heck? You know, I know. Not my body. So <laughs> I know. So I so I'm at this gym, Mike's gym in like Medford, Massachusetts, near where I went to college. And I see this woman from like afar and I'm like, that's it. She looks, that's what I look like. I, I was like, that's it. And then I looked again, she got closer to me and I looked at her again and I said, oh my gosh, the woman was probably like 60 to 80 pounds heavier than me. 
right? Like I could tell when she, when I really looked at her, I said, that is not what you look like, Melissa. But I just cannot see myself the way others do. And it's still the case. I mean, when I talk to people about the fact that I've had a weight problem and who have not known me, they are looking, I mean, and it's not like I used to weigh 50 pounds more than I do now. I've never been more than overweight, you know, I've, I'm, you know, always like on the cusp of the BMI, you know, healthy, like, oh, a little overweight. I mean, when I had my, my babies, I was, you know, put on a lot of weight, but I took most of that off. It's not about the number. It's not about the number. It's a mindset. And I relate to people who are, who have serious weight problems. I get that in a way that, you know, and I think that part of my being raised with this thin is good the stringing body is good, is that I really feel that we aren't gracious and kind to people who have real problems, whether it's binge eating or some obsessive compulsive disorder or a family history that they can't get away from. Nobody wants to live in a body that is uncomfortable. And I just think we don't treat people with sufficient respect around these issues at all. And even though nobody would think it, maybe from seeing me, I get that. And I'm there. I want to be an ally for people who are struggling to feel, as you always say, to feel better in their bodies. And that's really my goal and my mission today for myself is to just feel better in my body. And I would argue in your mind, you know, right? the mind, maybe I should add that, (laughs) but I guess, I guess by saying that I really mean the whole, the whole, the whole Megillah, if you will, right? It's like the, how you feel about it is how you feel in your body too, right? It's not just that, you know, this is tight or, you know, this isn't as strong or blah, blah, blah. And I don't know the answer, right? I still feel that same sense that you were talking about with the stealing food. And, you know, I had a cookie last night and I put it under my book because I was like, I didn't want my husband to see that I was going to eat this cookie. And finally I was like, this is ridiculous. He doesn't care if you eat the cookie, like eat the cookie. And so finally I like, stopped waiting for him to leave the room. I mean, this is ridiculous. Right. And I just no. ate something in front of him. He said nothing. He thought nothing. It's all me, you know, but it's how many years of this and what happened to all of it? I mean, I feel like this is in some way generational. I mean, this is not happening to the girls. By the way, I also wanted to say to you, you would have been a fantastic mother to girls. You would have found the way. Thank you. There are other women who I know feel the same as you. And I know, you know, maybe you would have gone the other way. I give my kids whatever they want to eat because I was, you know, my, I had food hidden from me and I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. So anyway, but just even feeling that way that you feel like you're, that you couldn't do it, that you couldn't help someone else when already you're coming on this podcast to help other people. Right. Yeah. It breaks my heart in a way, but I relate completely. So anyway. Yeah, and I the the, the sneaking food. I, mean, I have to tell you, I uh, you were saying that you know you you had. It's amazing how deep seated that is. And I've been, I mean, I've been married for almost twenty years. We've been together or half my life at this point. He's never said a word to me about my weight, what I'm eating, nothing. He doesn't. It's not. He. It's my body. It's my issue. And but that's how deep it is in me. And I I I, I hope that's not. I'm glad to hear that that's not the case. Maybe for the new generation because I'm sort of detached from raising teenage girls. I'm raising a teenage, I have a teenage boy who I'm getting to live through him, right? I always used to say I wanted to, I wanted to be a teen, skinny teenage boy who could eat anything. 
And so I was never going to be that, but I get to feed one now. But, you know, he made a comment to me a couple months ago where he said, mom, food makes me feel better. And I thought, yeah, he's got it. He loves food. Like I do. I love food and he loves food and he's an athletic, tall, very active teenage boy, but you know, he loves food and you have to stay moving to be able to eat all that. And so I, I, even with him, I try not to, you know, I talked to him about the fact that I was doing this because I said, you need to be quiet. You guys need to be quiet. And I talked about my binge eating his, you know, when I was a kid and all that, because I think we need to talk about, about all of this. And I, I'm glad this podcast and other, you know, this is what we need to do to, to cure this sort of dysfunction around, around food. But today, I mean, I've talked about all the history. I am much healthier about my, I still have all these deep-seated problems, but I don't have the same issues anymore in, in a lot of ways. I'm focused on moving my body. I think that fitness, I used to joke around, I hated exercise when I was younger more than I loved food. So there were a lot of stretches of my life where I literally would starve myself rather than exercise so that I could lose some weight because I just hated exercise. It was a chore. It was the first thing to go. Now I love it. I need it. I have to move my- What's your- So when I turned 40, I started running a little and I'm not like a big runner and that helped. And I started to get more active. Two years ago when I turned 45, my best friend was in Chicago. She had a Peloton bike and she said, the Peloton bike is great. It's at home. You can get up early in the morning and do it. You don't have to go to a gym, whatever. I said to my husband, I'm buying this. I'm not the kind of person who normally would spend a lot of money on a piece of fitness equipment. It's just not my way. I said, I'm buying this. He was like, you're not going to use it. I said, I'm buying it. I'm doing this. It was the best investment I've ever made in my health because it has become a regular part of my life. It, it was, I used to say that the lack of exercise was my biggest failure as an adult. Like the biggest failure of my adult life was my inability to make exercise a regular part of my life. I'm a professional, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I, you know, I, whatever, I'm a volunteer. This was the biggest failure of my life. And it's not anymore. I love to exercise. I, and it's not just the Peloton. I walk my dog a lot. I do some strength training. I've started to do some yoga during COVID because why not? Why not? (laughs) Whatever works to get through the day. But I, I mean, look, people always say you don't lose weight in the, you, you know, you lose weight in the kitchen. Working out is important. If I'm working out and eating everything, I'm going to gain weight. It's not. And that certainly happens. But my attitude about it is different for sure. And I, I also think that I've also learned, I used to be like, you know, it would be like the start of the week, right? I'd screw up. It was Monday. You already ate the, you know, three slices of pizza and that was it. I don't do that anymore. Every meal, everything I put in my mouth, it's a new moment. I do not do that anymore. Well, this day's a wash. This meal's over. This, I just don't do that. Today I had the salad for lunch. Maybe tonight I won't make a good choice. I don't know. But that doesn't mean tomorrow I'm not going to try to make a good choice again. And that's more about the health part of it. That has changed my mindset. I mean, that's why I'm not, a. I don't weigh myself a lot. I used to, I don't weigh myself a lot because I just, I want to feel like I'm, I'm, what I'm eating is healthy and I'm making good choices when I can, and I'm moving my body. But if I make it really about the number, then I get really obsessed. That is amazing advice. And it's all so true. And it's hard to 
move it from the realm of the intellectual to the behavior, to the habit, <laughs> but it's, it's all fantastic advice and important. It's so important. And, you know, working out is just one piece of the puzzle, right? It's just, I try to like in my head think, well, this is just for my mental health. You know, this isn't even for my body as much, but it still doesn't get me on the bike some days, but I'm, I also am on Peloton. I've recently discovered it. I am this mom has time to, if you want to be my friend on Peloton. Okay. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'm, I'm mom, wife, boss. Oh, so. I love that. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, Melissa, first of all, I'm sitting here thinking as you're talking, like, gosh, I would really love to like sit and have coffee with you sometime when we're not having this podcast on. And then I'm thinking to myself, gosh, there's so many people, like if you just get out of your own world, like your own proximity, right? I'm thinking of you and I just both growing up among people who's like, even just have different body types and how that feels. You know, there's all this like, oh, I was such an outsider because of this or that. You know, any, any way you feel different than is something. And if you don't see a model somewhere, not to say that I never did, but certainly not in my young, anyway. Yeah. Like, I just feel like I would encourage other people who like haven't broadened out their group from where they live that now is a great time to do that, right? Like sometimes you just have totally. to push the boundaries of not just the moms in your school or the kids in your class or whatever. You might not find someone like you, but that doesn't mean they're not out there in the world. Like they are. And that sounds so obvious, but I just don't think I totally understood that until I started meeting great people like you and so many people around the world on Zoom and you know all these ways. So Anyway, thank you for sharing your story. I think your aunt's experience should definitely go in a newspaper or a book or something. And I just, I hope we can continue this offline sometime. I hope so too, Zivi. Thank you so much. Thanks for your community. I've told you, I, your podcast about your book podcast got me reading again. And, and, uh, and, and then this community has been so great. And I, because I, the message I think is so important and I really... I, I, this is definitely me. I'm not the kind of person who normally puts herself, you know, reaches out to people that she doesn't know. So I really, it's been a pleasure to get to know you through this and to talk. So thank you. you Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. Don't forget to follow the private support group at Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight on Instagram. Thanks.